Here, this computer wants to lag. Normally, we have another computer that does our live feeds, and that computer's not here. So last time we utilized mine, but we couldn't get it going and fire it up, but this having troubles. I said, well, there's a way, well, there's a way, you know, and it's important to get the word of God out to people who are, are stuck at home. I know that we have a sister of the house who they've been battling COVID for the last 10 days or so. Now her, her little baby, uh, Laura, which we will pray for, um, has been struggling all night getting oxygen, um, coughing, not taking any food. Um, she just had a rough shape, but they, they discharged her and said, instead of sending her to Madison, there's a thing called, uh, it's not pneumonia, but it's like pneumonia pneumonico or something. I don't know. Pneumococcal? Pneumococcal, that's it. So for a little baby who's two years old and 15 pounds of Down syndrome, things are a little bit different for her. So the Lord needs our prayers as a family, as a bunch of believers. Uh, Mom needs some things as uh, life right now, life right now for our sister seems to be piling garbage on garbage on top of garbage. That's just going to be heavier and heavier and heavier. So we need to pray for Tara and Laura, Emily, the family. We love them very dearly. They mean a lot to us. So, so um, do we have any other prayer concerns in the house right now? So, yeah, going in tomorrow morning at 10, and they, two of the four hamstring muscles completely ripped off. So they got to go into the big muscle in the back and find those ends, and then stretch them back up and reattach them. So they say about two hours, and they'll be all right. Okay, yeah, don't be surprised if it's more than six. You'll be terribly surprised, though. Yes, yeah, And we're going to throw on a common sense prayer if you do not try to hit something again. <laughs> so I fell down the stairs, if you don't know what's happening, I fell down the stairs a couple months ago, um, bumped my head, slammed my shoulder, my ribs, and then flew across the hallway, through the wall, into my chimney. Um, with a dresser in tow. Yeah. Well, I've done it so many times, so what's the difference? So I just did it. I did what I do. And this time it knocked me to boo <laughs> So, alright. Let's, let's keep praying. Enough of all that stuff. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your healing hands. Right now, Lord God, I look up Tara and Laura and uh, anybody else about with this COVID stuff, but especially this sweet little Laura, who is uh, your, your special little kid, Father. Um, people will see Down syndrome as a disability. And I pray that we become a family that sees it as an ability as she lights up the world with her precious little smile and all the cute things that she does. She's just a beautiful and amazing kid, and we know that you love her. We know that you love her mom. So, Father God, bring forth blessing. Bring forth ways where we can't see ways, Lord God. Help our, help our unseeing eyes to actually see possibilities. Bring forth refreshing fire. That you would put wind back in Tara's sails, Lord God. We rebuke any work of the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ, and we declare victory in that same name. That, Father God, if you are ahead of us, you are before us, you are making a way, you are making a path for this family. So, Father, 
Bring those positive miracles. Bring those blessings that, that only you can do. Father, anybody else that's battling with all these things, all this sickness that's happening in the world, we just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And we stand up in that same name and we say no more. You will not have an effect. You will not raise terror against our family. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are like Advent candles. What was the first one we lit? Hope. 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 What was the second one? Where do we find our hope? In Jesus. So it makes sense that we like that. What was the second candle we lit? of the Lord, right? So all these things are bringing up Advent. What's, what's the, what, what does Advent mean? Adventus. It was the Latin word, Adventus. Well, that's what we're excited about, but the church celebrates it as though it's, like, we're still saying, oh, all right, this is the birth of Christ, and yes, in fact, we are. But then I got to think, well, like, okay, we've been celebrating that for 2,000 years. So, uh, so it's been going on for 2,000 years. How many years are we going to celebrate this kid's birthday? Like, okay, I get it, but he's alive. And, you know, all that. I just wasn't satisfied with that. But what about the second coming? We can be excited about his birth, which is absolutely incredible and wonderful and beautiful and the promise of so many prophecies, but we can also be excited about his second coming. So, so we have the joy of the Lord, right? And then what's the fourth candle? Yeah. 
to begin with the concentric circle that I was talking about in the middle of the pond. How do I love Aubriel or how do I love Hudson? How do I love Jody? How do I do this? Because when love is given more than stolen, it has an opportunity to spread. But if all we're doing is taking away these blessings from people and not loving them the way that God has called us to love them, what are we doing? We're not doing what we're called to do. And so you get what you have here today. And it's trouble. It's very hard, very difficult. But I, for one, cannot stand for what we're doing anymore. And so you're going to see the sermons are changing and they're a call to action because Christianity is not just a noun that lays flat on a page. It's a verb that stands upright and gets moving. It causes those who call themselves Christians to be activated, to be in motion. You and I, each and every one of us, need to be in motion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we light the fourth candle, which is the candle of love, and certainly we partake in a lot of these religious things because you won't find Advent in the Bible, but you certainly will find love, joy, and peace, and hope. So if we can partake in four candles here, why can't we partake in a life of love? Why can't we partake in something greater than ourselves and actually answer the call? Because when we start talking about getting back in, getting back into this message, it's important. Why do we pray for Tara and Laura and everyone else? Do we believe in prayer? Yes. But how many of us are earnestly praying day in and day out for people? How many of us pray without ceasing? And this is really a good Paul calls us to it. But are we doing it? And do we believe in it? Who is praying is not ready to be warriors in Christ's army? We're being geared up. We have all the armor. We have all the weaponry we need. We have the word of God which is sharper than a two-edged sword. We have a breastplate of righteousness and a shield and a helmet and, and our feet are shot with peace, the belt of truth. And we are prepared if we really truly are the warriors and people for God then we have a mission. You see, Christianity is not boring. If your Christianity, your version of Christianity is boring, check what you're doing. Because you know what's boring is sitting at home doing nothing but complaining. Christ did not have to die on a cross for us to sit in our homes and bellyache about all the things that are wrong. But if we take those prayers, praise God that those things are brought to our attention. And now we turn them. We turn them from complaining and we turn them into prayer. And we say, God, take this. Take this away in the name of Jesus. I command this to be over. I command it to be done because we have power and authority to do things, to change, to move mountains. Don't settle because the enemy tells you that complaining is your, is your 
role or, or, or your, your benefit for this whole thing that Christ did. You know, God's not really doing that. You, you really put a point out all. I love my mom. I love my mom. She's passed now. But my mom had an uncanny ability to point out everything negative in the world. Every negative thing in the world. And I would talk to her about it, and I would talk to her about it. But mom, turn to prayer. I do. You see that guy over there? I look, my mom was amazing. She really was one of the most incredible women I've ever met in my life. But all of us battle complaining about stuff and turning it into prayer. You know? Mm-hmm. How many of us, how many of us see our tomorrow no better than our today? A lot of people are like, oh, I guess this is the best it's ever been yet. And we settle for it. But when we actually believe in prayer, better is yet to come. So here we are, 2 Corinthians 11 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Remember, Paul is talking to this church, and he's like, guys, you're listening to a false prophet. Now look at what they do, and look at what I do, and see the difference. Remember we talked about when we were Christians by our love? What did Paul do for this church at Corinth? Do you remember? It's because of Paul and the mission of God that the church at Corinth even existed. And we find that out in first grade things that he spent that time with them. For three years he ministered to them and planted this church and lifted them up and walked with them. And how much money did he take? We find out in 2 Corinthians just a few chapters ago. How much money did Paul take from the Corinthians? None. None. Absolutely. He took not a dollar. He had other money from other churches that was spiritually healthy and giving to the ministry. So as we talked about it in chapters 8 and 9, remember our favorite, our favorite chapters of this book? What were we talking about then? Oh yeah, we were talking about giving. Right? Because each of us have a mission to give to the church. So the two tithing boxes back there. So we give to the church. The church takes that money and gives it out. So we see missionaries in action and we give to them. Our church is in mission and we set money aside. We have benevolence funds so when people are hungry and homeless, we can get them into places. You guys have a mission to support the local church that supports the greater church. Amen? Yeah. Alright, so for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What did he do to Jesus when he was tempted in the desert? You remember that? He, he, he chose to tell Jesus that he could give him all that which God created. And not only did God create it all, but God told us that all of it is nothing. For the kingdom of God is greater than anything that we have, greater than anything that moth or rust will kill and destroy. We have the kingdom of God. Man cannot live on bread alone, but the bread of life. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Whew. 
the Word tells us that some of us will get to heaven and we'll just stand there at the gates and they will say, I'm sorry, but I do not know you. The Lord will prophesy and pray and heal in your name. I'm sorry, but I do not know you. How is that possible? Do you remember when Moses went to the Pharaoh and he threw down his staff and it became a snake? And what happened? The magician, the sorcerer, threw down his staff and it became a snake. Darkness can play the games too. And disguises as light. It's important. The reason that I told you all to bring your Bibles this week, or to make sure that you have a Bible, is because when you know the Word of God, you lop off the enemy's head with it. He doesn't stand a chance against the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Christ that dwells in us. The darkness stands. No chance. And it's by the name of Jesus that we can declare all things. We can cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Beloved, we gotta start getting this stuff right. We gotta start understanding that we have a mission and that we're called to this thing. Paul's suffering as an apostle. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would. But as a fool, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Now check out these commentaries. The Corinthians have put up with the foolish boasting of his rivals with their, without demurring, without casting them out, without shining them, just taking it as it is. They could probably endure a little boasting from their own apostle. Many have boasted the way the world does, according to the flesh. That is, their boasting accords with the world's corrupt standards. If that is what it takes to get the Corinthians to listen, then that is what Paul will do. <coughs> so the world tries to tell young guys like this and old people like me that the world has anything to offer. That by buying a sports car, having the big house, that you attain this great thing, this great measure. But what good does it do you to have all that this world has to offer you? What good does it do you? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless and that you can't have. What I'm saying is that when you have, only because that is your measure of success, that is the measure by which you've allowed love into your heart, then you're missing the point. It doesn't matter who dresses up prettiest or who drives the best car. It matters who has that blessed heart of the Father in them and is actually called out to action to love the world around them. Does that sound like the same gospel we've been preaching? Because I'm hoping that things are going to shift a little bit, that we're going to recognize a little bit of difference. We're going to actually listen to what God is calling us to, pick up our Bibles, and take them out into the world because we have the greatest gift that anybody can ever want or imagine. Greater than anything we can dream, and I dream like a big boy. Jesus went to the cross 
must have it and the beauty and the glory as he sits beside his father and his right hand interceding on our behalf in the streets of gold and glory. As the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus knew how beautiful it would be. So he went to the cross. Paul knows how beautiful it would be. Remember when Paul started his ministry, we were talking about it at the end of this. Paul started his ministry and he had to be left out over the court, over the city walls because he couldn't go through the gates because people were going to kill him. You and I were afraid to tell people what's going on and what's killing them because we're afraid they just might not like us. Well, I'd rather go down swinging for the fence doing what's right, walking in the righteousness, walking out of love, not judgment, but being able to see what people are doing and saying, brother, you've got to see this, my friend. I love you so much, but what you're doing is killing me. And I don't want you to perish not knowing Jesus Christ. I don't want you to perish chasing the world. Your day will come, but today's not that day. So put down the hair on. Put down the prostitution. Put down the pornography. Put down the alcohol. Put down the judgment. Put down all the greed and self-serving actions that the world's telling you makes you something because it's actually making you nothing but dirt. You cannot have two masters. So choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And there's reasons why these words are written because they're so powerful and beautiful. They're so pure and wonderful and life-changing. They actually give life. And how beautiful. How beautiful as I'm reading this morning, I'm thinking about my time in Africa and how horrible it was. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever go back. It was so tough. It's so tough when you're preaching the word of God and your breath is taken away and you don't know if you're going to make it. And all you have is a prayer to God and say, please, Lord, bring my breath back. Help me to breathe. Help me to wake up. Help me to live. And you live. I had a heart attack the time before that, but the enemy tried taking me out. And he didn't win. I prayed, and God made me live. And here I am today. And I'm having a blessing and honor, not because I have the strength to overcome the heart attack, not that I have the strength to put breath back in my lungs, but the God that I serve loves me so much. So, Fred, I'm not done with you, boy. I'm not done with you yet. You got work to do, son. Come on. The enemy's tried to take me down so many times. So many times. We're going to hear about Paul. The phrase katasarka, in the way the world does, in 1118, they refer to the object of the boasting, their Jewish heritage. But it more likely refers to the attitude behind the boasting. And now if you recognize the love, and if you recognize that it's a heart condition, that it's a posture of your heart, that you go forth and you talk and you share, then what can the world take with you? You only feel less than because you're boasting of yourself in your flesh. But to have Christ in your heart is to die to self. What does that mean? Part of you or all of you? 
so that once you receive Christ as your Savior, how is it that you boast of yourself any longer? It is the brash self-confidence that has captivated the Corinthians. They were so amazed and enamored by the great things that these false prophets are telling them. Can you imagine a normal guy who didn't know of God's love sitting there above the city and seeing all the gold and all the riches and Satan saying, this can all be yours. Everything can be yours. How many people without the love of God in their hearts? Oh, yes. Winning. But they don't know they're actually dying. That path needs to be endured. It was culturally accepted in something they engaged in themselves as boasting of self. The Corinthians have no trouble with those who glory in themselves because that is exactly what they expect them to do. By contrast, they have been put off by Paul's abject humility. Paul returns to the thought of foolish boasting expressed in 11 1 as he prepares them again for his fool's speech. He does not want them to be fooled by his fool's disguise and mistaken for true apostolic speech. That's why in these verses he's like, hey guys, this is not the way that we normally do this thing. But you need to recognize. So, what did Jesus speak in a lot of times? Parables. And what did the parables do to those who didn't follow God or didn't listen or who weren't there? They fooled them. They baffled them. They didn't have the measure by which to even understand or receive it. But as we walk in Christ, we're, bringing, we're being delivered into divine revelation. We have an, an ability to understand the living, breathing word of God that transforms or renews the hearts and minds of those who are truly given to Christ Jesus. Amen. And so it's really important. Paul's setting all this up. This boasting is all a fool's jest. So it repeats his second justification for his own boasting. Ordinarily, indeed, it is unbecoming a wise man to be much and often speaking in his own praise. Boasting of ourselves is usually not only a sign of our proud mind, but a mark of folly also. However, says the apostle, yet as a fool received me. That is, if you come following me to boast a little, yet give due regard to what I shall say. He mentions a caution to prevent the abuse of what he should say, telling them that what he spoke, he did not speak after the Lord. So he is removing himself from his godly calling for a moment, and he says, hey, watch this for one moment. I'm going to show you how a fool talks. And so these men and women in this church can see and understand what these guys are doing as he boasts of himself. Verse 17, we do not have them think that boasting of ourselves or glorying in what we have is a thing commanded by the Lord in general unto Christians, nor yet that this is always necessary in our own vindication. How many of you guys get defensive when you start talking about what you've done? I think we've all been there. I think we've all had those moments and those times where we feel like somebody's attacking us, and so we defend by what we've done. And Paul's saying, typically, you don't even need to do that. You don't need to boast, and you don't need to be defensive on your own accord, but rather, who cares? Look the fool. God will defend you. God will have this. It is better to look a fool than to be a fool. 
So, because not contrary to the Lord, who strictly speaking, it is not after the Lord, it is the duty and practice of Christians in obedience to the command and example of the Lord, rather to humble and abase themselves. Now, here we go. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Yet because of false, in Galatians 2, 4, yet because of false brothers, secretly brought in, who slipped in despite our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Why is it important to know your Bible? Why is it important to know your Bible? You need to be able to know that every word that I speak, you can find it in the scriptures, backed up scripturally. Don't you dare let me come up here and speak anything that is not of the scriptures of God. The Holy Bible will guide you. The Holy Bible will show you where my heart is. It will speak for itself. I do not need to boast of me but just of God. So catch me. I don't know very That's why we're bringing our Bibles so that we can look. So has anybody turned to this page yet? Galatians 2, 4? Are you there yet? Because knowing your Bible and where to get to it is very, very important. It's very important that we learn to turn to the pages. You need to be familiar How many of you know your husbands, your wives, your previous mates, whatever? How many of you know their favorite color? Okay. That's kind of an interesting thing. How many of you know their favorite food? My wife knows my favorite meal. She knows my favorite color. Why is that? Because she has to. She doesn't have to. Because it's important to her to know me. Because she loves me. So if I say, if I profess that I love God, is it not important that I know Him? What's God's name? Jesus Christ. Robert, what's his name from the Old Testament? Yahweh. Adam Yahweh. Depends on which aspect you're looking for. Yeah. So, how do we say, Hallowed be thy name, when we don't even know his name? Me, when somebody asked me that a year and a half ago, I started and stepped. I knew Yahweh. Yahweh. Uh, depending on who you're talking to, how you pronounce it. But I stumbled because I'm like, well, there's so many names for God. Which one are we looking for? Well, if I know God's name, any of them will work, but His name is Yahweh. That's right. He's the only way. That's important that we know Him. It's important that we get passionate with Him, down and dirty with Him, into His Word and love Him so ridiculously. Like, 
here he is, this father who loves us so much that he gave his only son for us, that we would not perish but have eternal life. How passionate and intimate do you think he wants us to be with him? That he shared everything, the creation of heaven and earth with us. He calls us his beloved, so you'll hear me refer to you as beloved from time to time. Because you are beloved. You abide in God and God abides in you. That's it, how passionate. So when I talk about how I want you in the Word, it's because I want you to know he who loves you so ridiculously. And if you love him back, it is not, it is not a labor or a laborious thing to do, but it's a blessing to be able to get into his word and dissect it and meet him in the pages and say, God, meet me here. Show me your love and show me your passion. Show me how ridiculously you care about me because the world tells me I'm nothing. But everybody says, hey, God, you think of me differently. Show me. And watch him as he walks you through. Watch him as he picks up your hand and holds the small of your back and dances with you sweetly through the pages of the Gospels, through the pages of the Old Testament as he shows up and he's showing love as he restores his children and you share this passionate, beautiful dance together. How absolutely incredible. And yes, man, just because I'm talking about a passionate dance, imagine with your lover in your arms. Because we all like that one. That you man when you talk about or not. I will talk of dancing passionately with God through his words all the time. And if you think I'm the last of a man because of it, you're wrong. These rivals understand power as something one has when others become compliant slaves. It is the power of coercion, not the power of the cross. What is the power of the cross? The power of the cross is true eternal life. The Corinthians, however, seem to welcome being exploited. The verb translated exploit means devour. The verb translated, if, any, if anyone eats you out of house and home, it refers to the rivals' avarice and suggests that it is they, not Paul, who plunders churches. Together, the fruit, they chop down the tree. They eat up the community's resources and will earn God's judgment. He says, Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread. Psalm 14, 4. Let's get back into the verses. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Paul has a heritage. His, his genealogy translates back to the Hebrews. So what is it? He's part. He's of the blood. He's of the blood of Abraham. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. He mentions the privilege of his birth, which were equal to any they could pretend to. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a family among the Jews that never intermarried with the Gentiles. He was also an Israelite and could boast of his being descended from the beloved Jacob as well as they, and was also of the seed of Abraham, not of the proselytes. It should seem from this that the false apostles were of the Jewish race who gave disturbance to the Gentile converts. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, last one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Now how many of us would go through that for Jesus? And this is where I was talking about what happened to me in Africa and how it almost had me to say that I would never go back again. I answered my own question this morning. I said, hallelujah, I will. If God calls me back, I will go back. And I will face whatever the enemy wants to throw at me, but I will face it with courage, knowing that God has delivered me twice from that which the enemy tried killing me. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for other churches. He loves you guys, and he's calling this message out, and he wants you to be vibrant. He wants you to live and love and, and just breathe and share this thing with the, with the world around you, with your neighbors. He's so hurting because he sees what's not being done in the churches, and he knows that these other people are calling you out of where you're supposed to be. But his love fills him with this anxiety because he's afraid that you'll walk away. You'll walk away from the one true love. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. So yes, though I am but a man, I am filled with God and I am filled with His Holy Spirit. That is what strengthens me and is not of my own accord, but of the Lord who abides in me. And I am He. Worship team, I think you can come on up. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. That's the message that Paul's willing to go to to get the message out, to answer the call. Will you open your front door and walk to your neighbors? Will you share it around the community? Or will you be stuck where the enemy tells you you're to be stuck? 